0: Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of All Flex Livestock Intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals.
1: Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We're going to have a special guest today, Dr. Chris Radmaker from Iowa State's College of Veterinary Medicine and the Iowa Pork Industry Center, right here at Iowa State University. We're going to talk about Different things that are going on with swine health. We're glad you joined us today. Stay tuned. Hey, folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Chris Rademacher. Dr. Rademacher is a clinical professor in the uh, veterinary diagnostic and production animal medicine. Uh, department at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State University and he is now the director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center uh, here at Iowa State University and pretty much if you want to know something about swine health, swine production, swine anything, Iowa State is the place to be and this is our leader and we're really really thankful for all you do.
2: Yeah I appreciate that Dan, glad to be on.
1: Great and and so we're going to jump into talking about herders. And I had a student um, one time wrote a paper about PERS and spelled it P-U-R-R-S. Um, and I said, yeah. close. <laughs> close, right? <Yeah. laughs> so this isn't cats. That's right. And, but PERS is a, is a syndrome in pigs.
2: Yeah, it's actually a porcine respiratory and reproductive syndrome virus. And, and really, I, if I think about it, it's the virus that's been kicking our rear end for about 35 years. It's been around for a long time. It's an RNA virus. Like I say, like it says in the name, right? It affects reproductively, so we see clinical signs in sow farms, abortions, stillborns, mummies, and then the unfortunate part about that is the damage doesn't just end there. It also affects the pigs downstream and causes respiratory disease and a whole lot of mortality. So, like I say, we've learned a lot. We've taught ourselves a lot about how we do it. The most frustrating thing about it is, I think, as we've developed new management methods, we've got vaccines that are somewhat effective for it. And we've developed new techniques to help us control the virus better, but every time we do that, it's a little bit like uh, Darwin's theory, right? We <laughs> select for viruses. We select for a new strain that's a whole lot more virulent than the last one, and that starts to evade some of our uh, uh, methods that we're using to manage it. So it's really a very frustrating disease.
1: And and, and on the beef side, you know, BBD is very similar mm-hmm. to, to as far as the clinical uh, signs and outcomes. So what are some of the things that we're doing now when it comes to PERS to help protect the herds and and protect gilts and things You like
2: bet. That. You bet. So a lot of it, we've gotten to the point, you know, it's really talking about biosecurity, right? What can we do? We know it gets in pigs. What can we do to make sure we keep it out of our farms? You know, we do a pretty good job in breeding herds. We put a lot of showers. We do a lot of transfer, you know, washing transportation trucks. It's the growing pigs that we're probably not quite as good as, but we've actually gotten to the point, one of the more effective methods is actually to filter, you know, uh, you know, MERV style, hospital style fil- filtration systems really? into the cell farms, yeah, to prevent it because it. Can and get aerosolized, and once again, that's what we're seeing with this newer strain. As we get develop these newer strains that produce more virus in the aerosols, so because in particularly this time of year, as it gets cold out, they actually stay alive longer outside the pig. They can travel, uh, you know, uh, travel greater distances. So that's been one of the more uh, probably more common things that we've done more recently to kind of help help with some of that thing.
1: Yeah and and so. Uh, vaccines, uh, effectiveness, um, you know, what? Yeah. where are we on that? Yeah,
2: we've had a vaccine that's been a modified live, been around really, you know, probably in the first early years of it, and it does provide some protection. The problem is this is a single strain RNA virus, so it mutates and changes very rapidly um, so it does while it does provide some immune protection it doesn't prevent against all strains so it's kind of the deal where some protection is better than no protection but we're not where we need to be eventually we need to develop a new and better technology for
1: that yeah and so what do you see as far as the future and and PERS, what about the genetically modified pigs? Yeah,
2: that's probably the most promising thing that we'll see. There's uh, one genetic company that's done a gene edited pig that will actually resist that. So they've got to get FDA approval and then we'll watch that uh, those genes get disseminated into the industry and that'll be a whole new game for us. We'll see what happens then.
1: It's awesome. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about swine health with Dr. Chris Rademacher. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Chris Rademacher, who is the director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center. Uh, and also, he is a clinical professor in the VDPAM, Veterinary Diagnostic Production Animal Medicine Department at the Veterinary, College of Veterinary Medicine here at Iowa State University. And um, we left, we we're talking about PERS, and we can roll into some research that you all have done recently on uh, sound mortality.
2: Yeah, so we, uh, along with uh, our colleagues at Kansas State and Purdue, we got a five-year grant to study mortality of all phases. So my little slice of that big pie was: we wanted to really look at sow mortality. We've seen sow mortality really increase uh, since about 2014. Kind of took an exponential leap, and you know, due to many various factors, we you know we see more uh, pelvic organ prolapses than what we have in the past. Uh, You know, obviously there's been changes in genetics over that time, so. You know, my, one of the things that we wanted to look at was going on a, on a farm and do a demonstration project with uh, one of our swine producers here in Iowa. And it really was focused on uh, a study that we had done back in my commercial production days. We had a summer intern just spend a, a whole summer in a farm, Monday through Friday, as they went in and dropped feed in the morning, she would follow behind and look at the sows that weren't eaten. And, and hard directions huh. to her were, we said, you know, do a, do a good clinical exam, write down your observations, and then treat them according to the SOP protocol that the veterinarian had. So she went ahead and did that. and What we saw was that farm probably averaged six to seven dead sows a week and she was there it went to about zero to one dead sows a week <laughs> and then she went back to school and went back to six to seven dead sows a week right so just a small intern project but always kind of stuck in the back of my mind which is really to say i wonder how much of that is we're just not detecting those at-risk sows early enough and then by the time we do see them and let's say they've got a really severe lameness you know, it's too late to really recover and save them. So that's what we tried to do. We spent two weeks on a commercial production farm, just working with the gestation staff. So some colleagues of mine from the vet school, we just paired up one veterinarian with one of the gestation barn staff, and we went in because they feed those farms one time a day, 6 a.m. in the morning, right? So you have this unique opportunity because you get to see, since they're limit fed, whether they're eating or not. And that's really what we did. We just sat there and said, Anything that doesn't get fed, that doesn't get up to eat, because they do get fed once a day, we said just flag them. Cause they're, you know, they're big, it was a big 4,000 sow farm, right? So there's yep. like a thousand sows in a building. You got about 30 minutes before they stand up, eat and sit back down again, <laughs> right? So we said, just go through and flag them. And then what we'll do is after that, that took about a couple hours to do that. Then we'll come back up and get those sows up individually that didn't eat, didn't finish their food, do a good physical examination on them. And then we'll just treat them according to the treatment protocol. So we didn't do anything with their treatment protocol. They had great veterinary care there. Yep. We just think it's a situation we're not catching them early enough, and we're utilizing the fact that we can monitor their feed intake as that early signal to say, hey, there's something wrong here. So we went ahead and did that. Uh, Spent those two weeks with them and then just kind of walked away from the farm and we just monitored their weekly mortality. And really what we saw was that went from one of the worst mortality farms in the system to one of the best. (laughs) They dropped about 4% in their annualized mortality. So that system saw that, went ahead and implemented it on their 30 other sow farms and they've seen a 3% annualized drop in mortality across their entire system just simply because they're taking their time in the morning and you know, we're short on labor, just like all the other industries are yep. right now, right? And that's usually one of the things that gets dropped. And we said, hey, just take that opportunity. We know you're in there in the morning, just flag those animals. And when you come back later in the day after you have your breeding and heat checking done, just go through and flag those animals, take a look at them and treat them. And sure enough, we saw a great benefit from that. It's, it was, so it really was just about that individual animal care and yep. those big farms, just kind of reiterating, that's important. You got to look at every animal every day make sure they're catching them early.
1: We, uh, we just aired a show that showed that when you're feeding a, bunk, a bunch of calves, there's one that's laying out there by itself. That's the sick one. And that's the, 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 one, old, right? the old adage of animals that are sick don't eat and animals that don't eat get sick. It yep, fits, fits the, there perfectly, doesn't yeah, it? It does, it's great. <laughs> we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about E. coli in the swine industry with Dr. Chris Rademakers. Thanks for watching. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Chris Rademacher, who has two hats here at Iowa State. One, he's a clinical professor of production animal medicine in the VDPAM department at the College of Veterinary Medicine. And he is also now our director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center that spans across our campus, tying together all different colleges, all different departments to help focus and serve the, the swine industry. And, you know, we're, we were going to talk about E. coli. And so, so what are some of our major concerns when we think about E. coli?
2: Yeah, we have two, two strains that are probably the most predominant, KD8 and F18. Uh, we had F18 uh, early in my practice career, right? That's the one that causes edema disease, cause can cause really high nursery mortality. And then we kind of developed some uh, low tech, you know, competitive exclusion products, you know, the kind of stuff that veterinarians could culture in, in their basement type of stuff. But they've been very, very effective. you know. So we've had a lot of people using those products for years, very effective against the F18 E. coli. But something changed about three to four years ago. And we can really see it when we look at our internal data and also the uh, swine disease reporting system, which yeah. m- my collaborators over in uh, Vet Med have kind of put together. They take uh, all the information from the top five labs, Iowa State, Minnesota, K-State, South Dakota State, and Ohio State. So you got 95% of the pig work gets done really in those five labs. All yeah. that information gets dumped, put together in a monthly report. So we started looking at that because we started hearing more about F18 E. coli again. And sure enough, since 2019, something changed, so we're starting to dig deep in that. And what we're finding is some of these practices and these these, uh, competitive exclusion products slash vaccines aren't working as well. So something's probably changed with the E. coli. Now it looks like there's been some things that have changed, you know, obviously, you know, the feed things are always challenging. So we're trying to simplify diets that can get to be an issue sometimes. There really was a big push uh, from a meat quality standpoint, uh, to the Duroc sire line of genetics, you know. Before that, there were some Duroc out there, but there were a lot of White Line, you know, terminal yep. bred sires. And within those lines, they had a lot of genetic resistance because of the late 1990 push with the, when the F18 was more powerful, right?
1: Doctor Harley Moon. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. mean, he taught us in veterinary school That's that right. the ones that had the the the, the receptors. That's
2: showed up 28 days post weaning. You have it. You have it. Yeah, some great foundational work, right? Yeah. So they started to put that into the selection matrix, and that was probably part of the reason why it kind of had gone back into the background. Well, because of some of the meat quality attributes that the packers are starting to demand, a lot of uh, farmers, a lot of packers are putting pressure on the farmers to switch over to the Duroc, which haven't had that much genetic selection against the F eighteen. And if we look at that, that that kind of all occurred at the same time as. As companies and as producers started to switch over to durac, well, lo and behold, now we're starting to see the F18 E. coli increase again as well.
1: So now we're back to to probably looking at the genetic selection and, and starting to help fix it that way.
2: Yeah, yep. I, I think that's one thing. Certainly all the genetic companies are very attuned to that and will probably go back into their matrix. The other thing we started to look at is a closer look at the E. coli itself. Mm-hmm. I know some work here from my colleagues over in vetMed started to take some of the newer whole genome sequencing, all the CSI kind of stuff that we get to do in VetMed. started to look at the E. coli specifically, and they're starting to, to find this gene that's, prevalent in human medicine, it's an attachment gene, which is different than the receptors that Dr. Moon talked to us about before. Be damn. So we're starting to do some research to say, okay, we can find it. Does it really mean anything or not? If it does, it could mean, well, it could evade that receptor mechanism and it could attach by a different way.
1: Oh, so, be dang. Yep. Well, it, one thing about it, they would say the bacteria were here before us and they'll be here after us. <laughs> <so.
2: laughs> yeah, they're pretty good at changing <laughs> <after> <laughs> the change.
1: Unlike me. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're we're gonna take a break. We're here with Dr. Chris Rademaker at Iowa State University. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Chris Rademaker. He is the director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center here at Iowa State University. He also serves as a clinical professor in VDPAM over in the College of Veterinary Medicine and He has brilliantly walked us through the health challenges of the spine industry, from abortions to sow mortality to to nursery grower to now we're going to talk about feeder pigs. That's right. And so the name of the game is biosecurity
2: yeah i think a lot of what we've learned certainly with pers pers has probably been the greatest teacher for us from a biosecurity standpoint and it really has been about how do we keep things out okay all about by in a, a technical term that my colleague dr holkamp uses is uh you know bio exclusion right how do you keep new things out from coming into your pigs now we're trying to start to look at it a little bit more globally to say well we know we have sites that break okay and we know that the the site that breaks becomes the potential for other sites to get infected. So we're starting to look at things, uh, and what he terms, uh, coins the term as biocontainment. In yep. other words, once the site gets infected, what can we do to keep, you know, that virus there and keep it from spreading to other sites? You know, yep. so
1: and we've seen some of that. You know, that the the last barn you chore, yep. is the one with PERS or the one with PED, and and uh, and same way with us. You know, we the the last cattle that we work or the high risk calves, um, we let the, the, you know, the naive and the yearlings and things like that go through first. And that's right. You know, and, and so kind of, kind of changing our day and changing our schedule to contain the disease.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, because people think, well, I got to shower into a unit because I want to make sure I'm not dragging anything out. But then they get a little bit lazy about showering out, thinking, well, I gotta go home or do something that. What they're not realizing is, yeah, they they can, they can if they get lazy, they may drag some stuff and they drag it into their pickup the pickup of which goes into the next, you know, number of sites, and if it gets cold, you know, during this time of year where it gets cold, the virus, these viruses that we deal with, PERS, PED, they survive well outside the body, while they jump in that truck the next morning, that virus sitting there on the floorboards could still be potentially infective. Now they just walk it back into the next site, right?
1: I've even, you you know, you you talk about this, even carrying it in on your cell phone, or Mm -hmm. carrying it in on different things, you know, that that we, we just hadn't thought about leaving those behind and, and uh, you know, for cattle guys, you know, we go to the sale and buy five head and throw right. them in the pen. you <laughs> you y- would have a heart attack in the, yeah. in the swine industry if
2: we did that. The first right got rid of that for us, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um you know, uh, any other Thoughts on biosecurity and and some of the human aspects to it?
2: Yeah, you know, so that's a lot of it. Just education. You know, one thing that we really struggle with is uh, trailer sanitation, right? You know, well, some, some of the trailers we wash after we haul, but we don't do all of them, right? And we get it, it's expensive, and we don't really have enough infrastructure to actually wash all the trailers even. But, you know, as we're kind of sitting here with African swine fever approaching on our shores, those are all the types of discussions. I think what we really realize is that growing pig, that feeder pig, that finishing pig biosecurity, that's kind of our Achilles heel. Yeah. So uh, the Swine Health Information Center, uh, they've just come out with a $2 million call with the FFAR uh, to uh, put together some proposals, right? Because they realize we got to come up with better solutions because, you know, we just can't be that vulnerable, particularly with uh, foreign animal disease this close.
1: Well. Sure, appreciate you taking the time. You're a busy guy. Oh, my, my
2: pleasure. I yeah. enjoy it.
1: That's great. It's great to have Dr. Chris Rademaker here on the show today. Thank you for watching Doc Talk. If you want to know what we do, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. Always work with your local veterinarian. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Chris Rademaker, and we'll see you down the road.
0: Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. We see you. Working hard from the early mornings to the late nights and every hour in between. We see you. Putting countless miles on your truck trailer and your horses we see you the expenses from fuel to feed to fees and the inevitable cost we never saw coming we see you young and old and every race color and creed united by a dream we see you the pursuit the desire the effort the hope the goal of being a champion we see you, and we see that you need a partner that believes in you and your dreams and will work just as hard for you as you're working to bring those dreams to reality. And That's why we're here, to keep your animals healthy and happy with countless products and quick and reliable shipping. Valley Vet Supply, we work hard for you so you can work hard for your dreams. To the cowboys and cowgirls, to the dreamers, we see you.